Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place for all things software and technology. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined by my colleague and collaborator, my travel advisor, <laughs> Ryan Thor Donovan. Hey, Ben. How you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. So I came across an awesome story this week. It made all the papers. It was a mainstream story, but there's a cool programming and coding element to it. A young kid, I believe he was 13 or 14, mm. became the first person to ever reach the kill screen mm. in Tetris. As it turns out, there's more than one kill screen. We'll get into it. But he reached what seems like the official kill screen. He broke the game. And that was a huge deal within the community, never been done before. Also exposed or, you know, like highlighted mm -hmm. how the game was created in terms of how it was written. You know, it's programming. Tetris is old, right. right? I mean, do you remember playing this on PC or on Game Boy or on NES? Sure. On the OG Game Boy, it was the included game. Right. It was the included game. So you couldn't not play it. It's addictive. It has amazing music. The Tetris movie is actually amazing. If you haven't seen it, I recommend I've it. I've seen the previews and it seems amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's very fun. Uh, created in 1985. Um, and then mm -hmm. I'm sure the Nintendo version maybe was, you know, coded differently. But uh, yeah, Ryan, I sent you this story. Did you read it or do you want me to sort of dig into it? And Yeah, no, I, I read it. It's definitely interesting to see, you know, like a lot of these old games, people playing it competitively for you know, what is it, 40 years almost Yeah, since the beginning. And to do that, they've modded it a little bit. I remember they said they modded it so there could be another uh, digit of score. Yeah, the idea that you could break the game at this level wouldn't mm -hmm. have come about without some, you know, good old-fashioned finger-tapping innovations. Mm -hmm. There was the hyper-tapper era, and then there was, now we're in the era of the rollers and right. they are able to move much faster. And then they started running these simulations uh, of mm -hmm. Tetris. And as people got to higher levels and they ran the simulations, they started to see things break down. For example, the color schemes. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you'd be on a, on a level and it would be, you know, basically black on black or the, you know, nearly invisible. And so that was one challenge. And that was because, right, they had never coded it to go up to that level, it started to, right. it had like a random procedural generation that broke down in so, some point. It had a standard color scheme, like every right. level one through 10 would have the same color scheme and then it would repeat. And it got right. to some point where it started pulling from different places. Like the algorithm right. that was it was using no longer drew from the correct sort of <laughs> memory locations. Right. So... Yeah, that I thought was the most interesting part. I don't really understand how it works. Maybe you can walk me through it a little. But basically, mm -hmm. as the score gets higher and higher, it's having more and more difficulty executing the code without dipping into or occasionally drawing on the RAM side of things, You know, the memory side mm -hmm. of things. Do you have a sense of how that spillover happens? Yeah, so I have a little bit of a guess as to how that happens. Um, basically they get to the kill screen where right. you know the the programmers did not expect it to go and they're probably using the variables that are you know 16 bit 32 bit whatever right you get to a point where the numbers they're using are too big and you have 
buffer overflows, right? Right. Or there is a video out there that is explaining this in detail, and I didn't watch that. But I'm guessing there is some sort of overflow where suddenly it's it's drawing from random memory locations because right. all of those values are in memory somewhere. Yeah. And then they draw from, you know, neighboring memory locations. Be like, well, it's, this is what the <laughs> color is now. The color right. is using the same memory location as, you know, part of the score. Right, right. Yeah, so there were some amazing sort of things discovered about the game. And as you reach this sort of end state, they had a version of Tetris that was run step by step, where like every Mm -hmm. move, every drop of the block and every move was entered manually, right? It was not done in real time and it was not done with controller input. And through that, they discovered these areas where it would glitch out. Mm-hmm. And there was a level, I forget, it was like 270 something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get three lines in a row at the same time, that'll glitch mm-hmm. it. And so people were looking for that. Yeah. That happens at, uh, I think, level 155 was the first time that is possible. If you clear one row at a time, it has a 100% chance of hitting the glitch. Um, right. But the first person who glitched out, they missed that. And they actually had to go to level 157. Right. And somebody came up with a whole spreadsheet of like, here's all of the possible places, all of the possible things that would cause it to glitch out. Right. And I think what you're talking about is they stepped through to get to a point where it's beyond all glitches, right? It was just like, that's <laughs> the end of the game. <laughs> well, that was, I thought, the coolest thing was that the story went full circle. So, you know, it's like at first in the original Tetris, you can play the game, but it gets to a point where you just can't go fast enough, physically fast mm-hmm. enough. And so the game ends and the game kind of beats you. But it, it feels bad because like, you know, it's it's not something where it was a lack of skill so much as just like a limit. And then right. they got to this idea of like, all right, well, we're going to break the game. And that was pretty cool. They also figured out different uh, techniques for using right. playing the game. Right. They came up with like these different techniques that kind of extended human capability, right? Which was cool. Mm-hmm. And then the next level is the sort of happy resolution. I forget what they called it. Well, there was the kill screen where you, you defeat the computer. And right. then there was the rebirth, right? The rebirth. Yes, the rebirth yeah. where you get back to zero. Right. It just starts over. You've done so well. It just starts over. Oh, the game is relieved. It knows what to do. <laughs> its code right. works in this area. I thought that was, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. I look forward to the uh, the religion people uh, come up with it around this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can find the name. Hydrant Dude um, apparently mm-hmm. has made a bunch of videos exploring this. There's a Liquidpedia. I guess he's a competitive player in the Tetris scene. Yeah. And he's got some amazing explainers, animated mm-hmm. explainers, stepping through the code. And explaining, you know, why and where the colors glitch out mm-hmm. and why, you know, around level 155, you can get the entire game to crash. Yeah, I always think it's it's so interesting when people play these games so much where they start to figure out what the algorithms are, right? Like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen um, The King of Kong by talking about Pac-Man where they figured out what movements make the ghost move. So mm. it wasn't even playing the game you were just running through a set algorithm right right and somebody did that with the show what was it 
It wasn't let's make a deal. It was the, the one with the whammies. <laughs> Press your luck. <laughs> yeah. Somebody figured out the algorithm and broke the game and yeah. basically like won everything. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. For these, you know, early programming things, like they didn't have the sort of memory capacity or even the, you know, variable capacity that we have now. Right. So you keep playing it on our level, it's going to, something's going to break. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's very cool. We will leave links in the show notes to a great, it's like a 16 minute little documentary about how this all happened. And then I will definitely leave some links to the Hydrant Dude explainers because um, they very much dig into the software side of stuff and the VRAM and the ROM and everything that happened. All right. Well, I wanted to get on to another topic here that I thought was super fun. This was shared in the break room in Stack Overflow. Somebody asked a question, as folks, you know, like to do, and it was asked over a decade ago, this question. And in it, the person is, it was asked on the math stack exchange, which is a sort of a unique stack exchange. It's always had a special place, right? And so they were sort of saying, I've read a couple of these books, you know, I'm looking to up my game. Does anybody have ideas of the next sort of place I should check out? And then the person's username is available there. And so lo and behold, 12 years Mm -hmm. later, this person has written the textbook on this subject. So they no longer need to ask where they can go to find this. They just have to head on over to they just made their own textbook their, their own book mm-hmm. yeah and then this got me thinking like this is we could do a whole series on this somebody responds mm-hmm. in a similar vein 12 year old question on stack over by someone asking baby programming language implementation questions who has since gone on to work at instagram's high performance python fork you can see them grow up they grow up so fast mm-hmm. let me find this one i think something like happened with the creator of Zig. Mm. Yeah, but I think they, you know, early on asked a very basic programming question on Stack Overflow right. and then went on to create their own programming language. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We have one here about the mathematician Peter Schlose. It says, Peter Schlose answered a question in 2011 about perfectoid spaces and seven years later, we go on to win the Fields Medal. So if you want to know about it, his answer has since been updated uh, with his lecture notes and other things like that. So fun to see, yeah, people sharing. Like you said, the math overflow is a very special place. I remember there was another uh, famous question there that was this really difficult problem where they're just like, oh, how do I solve this? And people are like, wow, it's sort of unsolvable on these ones. Like, here's sort of the way to work through it. And somebody came through and just posted the answer. Mm-hmm. They were like, here's the right answer. Right. <laughs> Didn't show their work. <laughs> right. I love it. Closed, yeah. but accurate. That's right. You know, still providing a lot of value. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention before we hop off, you know, Gen AI took up most of the conversation in 2023. We'll see what happens in 2024. You and I are recording this first week mm-hmm. of January. And, you know, the transformer architecture really defined sort of what Mm -hmm. the progress that has been made since it was released in 2017, 2018. And there are new ideas now. There's something called Mamba um, that's out there that Mm -hmm. people are saying, you know, maybe this could be uh, a way to step forward. But 
I listened to some talks by the creator of Mamba and mm-hmm. somebody who is working at Microsoft, the guy who wrote the uh, Sparks of AGI paper, which was very influential, and one of the co-founders of Mistral, which produced some of the highest the most cutting-edge sort of open-source AI models. And they all said the same thing, which is, you know, you can squeeze out some fun gains with by optimizing your algorithm. You can squeeze out mm-hmm. some fun gains by coming up with better hardware. But if you feed the model better data, better quality data, you can get a thousand X gain. You know, like the model mm-hmm. is as good with a thousand X less parameters. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. That was a big prediction from my favorite AI mm-hmm. prognosticator, this channel AI explained. And pretty meaningful for us at Stack Overflow because that's what we're all about with both our community site and our teams is like, mm-hmm. how do we organize information and knowledge and how do we get to, right. as you said, the best answer? Yeah. And I mean, I think we're, we're seeing a lot of folks, you know, come to realize that, that data is the key. You know, we're working on something now that talks about if you're doing your own LLM, it's right. basically all about fine tuning, right? Like you just, have the good data, you verify it, make sure it's good data, and then you right. fine-tune whatever existing LLM out there, and you'll have great results for for you know pretty cheap, pretty fast. Yeah. Certainly cheaper than retraining your own uh, yeah. foundation model. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like we arrived at some breakthrough results that caught the world's attention in the LLM side almost in a brute force manner, right? Let's read 10 terabytes mm. of internet text and use, you know, a bajillion GPUs. But even that was then fine-tuned for months on, you know, reinforcement learning and human feedback so that it, you know, was better. And then even that would hallucinate a little bit. But you say, how do we educate people? Well, we don't force them to read the entire internet, half of which is probably wrong. You know, mm-hmm. like if you want somebody to be well-educated, let's try to agree on some facts and read some textbooks and, you know, listen to the best <laughs> lectures and, you know, all of that stuff. So would you give um, them the, uh, the canon? Yeah, exactly. Just give them the, uh, the, the greats. Great courses, and then you're done. Yeah, and that will immediately, you know, raise issues of bias and politics. You know, not everybody agrees on what happened in history or what's happening with current events or, you know, Mm -hmm. whether the earth is round or flat. But it certainly, I think, could produce LLMs that are far more efficient and maybe, you know, useful for folks. So that's a cool thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, to the point of like, you know, what's the data that's sort of wrong, like earth is flat sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to bias towards the results, right? If you ask it, is that earth round or flat? It says it's flat. You go back and you change your data, right? Right. So whether the things are true or not is almost irrelevant to the uh, the LLM. It's just whatever the data says. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The LLM doesn't know if the data you're feeding it is accurate or completely false. Right. Uh, right. So you got to be very careful, right? Like there's no way for it to distinguish right. when it's being trained. All right, last thing, we can save the discussion of this for another day, but I really recommend you check out this link in the show notes for something called Mobile Aloha. It is a little robot with four wheels and two hands. And there are the most amazing videos of it doing laundry, uh, using a vacuum. The guy let it shave his face, which I thought was pretty brave of him, <laughs> using a coffee machine, opening doors, playing with pets. It has all of the, the assistant from the Jetson sort of capabilities. It's not cheap. Who knows? Are we finally getting yeah. robot butlers? I'm telling you, Ryan, you got to look at these videos. They're unbelievable. It's making the bed. It's doing everything. 
when will this become something that's you know commercially available? I don't know, but yeah. its ability to do a wide array of tasks and to do delicate tasks, like they're like cook this dish and it cracks eggs, you know, yeah. puts it in a bowl, boils some water, throws in the shrimp. I mean, it's it's wild. I mean, I'm excited to have uh, you know AI finally take on the boring stuff, but yeah, I do remember this old cheesy Tom Selleck movie called Runaway where the robot butlers are infected by AI, some virus or whatever. They go around right. just murdering people. So right. sci-fi has yeah. shown us that they're always going to be uh, dangerous, yeah. especially if Gene, Gene Simmons is involved. <laughs> we need to make them just strong enough to do interesting chores, but weak enough to be easily defeated in hand-to-hand That's combat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. A happy new year to folks. I hope you're having a great 2024. As always, if you have questions or suggestions for me, I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. Hit me up on X at Ben Popper. Throw some stuff in my DMs. I read through them today and saw two uh, cool invites for folks who want to come on the podcast. If you want to chat with Ryan and I about stuff we should talk about or you know the show or the blog, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you got some laughs out of today's episode, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow, stackoverflow.blog. If you want to watch uh, the movie Runaway, I believe it's on uh, Tubi <laughs> or one of them. And uh, you can hit me up on X at Arthur Donovan. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon.